Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hey everyone, it's Chris Platty. Now before I get to today's Pacific Division preview with my man and fan favorite here on the Strictly Hoop Talk podcast, Tim, a.k.a. Cranchers McBasketball, you know him as the host of the Lakers Charge podcast and also, of course, the creator of the Basketball Index website. I do want to do some quick housekeeping and keep you guys up to date on what's going on with the podcast and the YouTube channel. Uh, the YouTube channel should have a video out by the end of this week. I'm actually probably going to do a poll on Instagram to let you guys decide which video it is that I'm shooting this week. So that will be on my Instagram and probably my Twitter as well. So you can find those handles. It's the same handle, at RealChrisPlatty. Be sure to uh, follow those two to stay up to date and to kind of have a say in the content that's coming out and when it's coming out. Now also, I will get to try to wrap up the division previews within the next week or so as we're about 10 days away from the regular season starting. So just keeping that in mind. And uh, once again, I apologize for being a little bit under the weather here for today's episode and probably the next couple episodes as I knock out these recordings. Hopefully I can get right and... uh, and and get rid of this voice because podcasting is brutal when you're when you're sick but without further ado let's get to today's episode the pacific division preview with my man tim aka cranges mcbasketball let's go Alright, hello everyone and welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host Chris Platty and I am back for another division preview. This time it's a Pacific division and you know I had to get my guy, the go-to guy for Lakers basketball, for Pacific division basketball talk. That is Tim aka Cranchus McBasketball uh, of the Basketball Index. Tim, how you doing? Chris, I'm good. We're back. Um, every it's every year it seems like I'm I'm on to you know represent the Pacific Division. I think this is the only uh, vehicle in which I do represent the entire division. But <laughs> it's it's actually a neat experience prepping for this and trying to think from the different points of view of the different teams. So I enjoy this. Always happy to be on, and I'm excited for the season to start, man. I mean, you better be. I mean, the Lakers had one of the most interesting off seasons of the of the NBA. So this is going to be a very, very interesting division podcast. Obviously, a lot of these teams in the division have made moves. We'll get to your Lakers in a second, but let's start here with the Phoenix Suns. So I'll, I'll let you kick it off, Tim. What is your question or thing you are looking forward to with the Suns this season? So <laughs> I'm really interested to see what they can make out of this year from like a building box standpoint and I don't look at the roster and think that most of the guys they have on this team would be on a Suns roster that's going to the playoffs anytime soon. Mm -hmm. They have a couple of those guys. I think Mikel Bridges, 
Um, I think Devin Booker. I think DeAndre Eaton. But for both of those top two guys, their role on a playoff team is lower on the priority list of, of like your top three or five or seven players or whatever it is than they play in this team. So like Booker's the number one option for this team. On a playoff team, he's probably the two or three option. Mm-hmm. Same same thing with Aiton. So in that sense, they, they're not in a great position this year. But I think what we see from Monty Williams is what I'm most interested in looking at and what I have the most questions about. Monty Williams hasn't been a head coach for a basketball team in quite a while. Uh, the last time he was head coach, he was coaching Anthony Davis and did a pretty good job of tailoring that offense to get him some good looks. What he did for Davis certainly won't work for Aiden in terms of the types of actions they used. And just Monty Williams' offense in general back then was not not modern NBA offense. So I'm interested to see if he's rolling out some archaic stuff out there that isn't good with spacing and doesn't have a lot of motion or action going on, or if he's really developed as a head coach um, most recently with the Philadelphia 76ers as an assistant and transformed his philosophies and his schemes to make that an asset rather than a liability like I think it might be. Um, So if he can be good with that and they can make the most out of the talent they do have because he's good at that, I think that bodes well for them for the future. As long as they have a poor roster and they're also not making the most out of them, it's difficult to develop guys and then flip them because you're just always showing less of them than you could be. So I think that's just a, I don't know, it's like you can be really smart, but if you show up to your interview and you don't represent yourself well, you're not going to get the job. Or if you're not all that great, but you kill it in interviews, you're going to outshoot what you should be shooting. Um, So it's kind of like that, but scheme for basketball players. So I think that'll be a key, not really for, I mean, for this season, it won't matter all that much for their wins and losses and making the playoffs. But long term, if he's their guy and the players love him, the coaches love him, if his schemes can also be adequate or an asset, I think that bodes well for Phoenix long, long term. Okay. I like I like that you started off with offense because I have something defensive. My concern with them or my question with them is defense. But before we get to that side, I want to talk a little bit more about the offense because you brought up great points about about Monty Williams' coaching style and how it how it translates all these all all these couple seasons later since he's since he's uh, since the last time he's had a job. And I I want to pose a question to you in that who do you think will benefit most from a Monty Williams system on this roster? Is it, is it Aiden? Is it Booker? Who do you think, uh, who do you think will likely benefit the most from, from his coaching style based on, you know, based on your scouting of, of Monty Williams offensive systems? Based off of what he used to be running that I don't, that I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. Hmm. Ooh, I would say, man, I don't know who benefits. <laughs> who who is most unscathed might be. See, it wouldn't be. I don't know. It wouldn't be Aiden. I guess Booker, because Booker, in a sense, with his skill set, should be able to transcend a poor scheme right. with the type of offense he generates and the type of role he has. And he can play the one. He can play the two. So I think he'll kind of make it out well regardless but I think Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Ayton their value coming out of this season 
just just from the fans and league perspective can be very different depending on whether or not Williams runs what he showed on film from years ago or if he comes into the season as a whole new coach schematically, has a new offensive coordinator, whatever it is, and is able to make the most out of those two guys. I think those guys have the most to lose if he's not sound schematically. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I mean, I look at this roster and this is a pretty good offensive uh, offensive roster, wouldn't you agree? You got, you know, another able body playmaker for the first time in ho- however many years since Devin Booker's been there. You got Ricky Rubio, then you have and you have Mikael Bridges who should be if utilized correctly a a decent a decent score, a decent wing score, and you have DeAndre Ayton, you have uh Dario Saric who's, you know, who kind of fits what Phoenix is looking for in terms of in terms of a four? They're looking for a for a stretch four that's also a little bit more mobile and can rebound a little bit, and that's what he does. So, I'm I'm thinking on paper this is a pretty decent offensive team, and they do have all the ingredients to be uh, may, maybe you know flirt around the fifteen around the 15 to 18 range in offensive efficiency this year what do you think of their offense i think again it'll depend on how they're used they have just like you mentioned they have numerous guys that are good at one or two things Mm -hmm. but there are a lot more than one or two things that you need to be good at to be a well-rounded offensive player in the nba so if they can put those people in positions to succeed and use what they're good at the most and then try to mitigate the impact of what they're not as good at you might be able to get close to average efficiency offensively but if we look at the the roster as a whole and we try to aggregate so at my site we do player talent grades and we've spoken about these what months months ago when i was on in in the past where we take a look at a player and we'll adjust for things like just the situation they're in their teammates their opponents scheme things like that this team grades out as the third worst perimeter shooting team, the fifth worst one-on-one scoring team. And those are two things that you generally want to be pretty good at. Um, they do have the eighth best uh, off-ball movement grade as a team, per, or projected, projected I should say. Um, so that's mostly cutting. They should be good at rolling. They should be, should be good in the post. They should be good at offensive rebounding. But... There are just so many guys that are only good at a couple things that it's going to be tricky fitting the puzzle pieces together to make a pretty picture. Okay. Okay. Wow. I didn't. I didn't expect them to be that low in uh in some of those categories, specifically um specifically perimeter shooting. I mean, I kind of expected one on one when you only have one good isolation score really on that on that roster. But mm-hmm. let's jump to the defensive side because that's where my question is with this team, and I'll pose it to you. Uh, Tim, this is both a short-term and a long-term question. Of, I look at their core. Obviously, their their foundational core is Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, and you know they're kind of hoping maybe Mikael Bridges can become a long-term piece. Whether that's whether that's a starter or just or just a really good role player, they're hoping that he's part of the future with them as well. But just looking at DeAndre and and Booker and DeAndre. Aiden has he had a not so great off or defensive season last year. Devin Booker, we know we know the story on him defensively. So, 
what can this team's defensive ceiling be not only this season but projecting for when you have when you have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton at the core of your roster? It's a it's a tricky thing. Um, Booker, like you said, certainly isn't isn't very good defensively. Uh, if we just turn to those aggregated team projected talent grades, uh, they're about average on the interior defensively and the perimeter defensively, but they grade out as the dead last uh, defensive rebounding team, which is very important. Um, so overall, those three things together, they're probably you know somewhere in the twenties, mm-hmm. uh, but. I would say that I have a lot more hope with Aiton than I do with Booker in terms of his defensive abilities. Um, Booker just has not been very good defensively. And somebody coming into the league as a guard that isn't good defensively, we have a lot of data on showing that they generally won't grow a whole lot. Um, When you come into the league as a guard, either either you're good at defense, you're okay, or you're not so good. and, And usually you don't really switch categories. Um, as a big or as a wing, we see a little bit more movement. Um, but Booker was the guy who last year, uh, among guards who played at least a thousand minutes, he he had an F grade for perimeter defense, a D grade for defensive rebounding. Um, he had a B for interior defense. He's a, he's a bigger guy, but you just can't have a top guy play like that and not have a solid defensive team around him. And I just don't know if they have enough. I think yeah. Rubio is a, a, a good upgrade for them. And they dropped a couple guys this past offseason that they didn't replace them with great players, but they were just so bad that losing them is, is a step up. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. But Booker, I'm not very uh, excited about short or long term with his defense, whereas Aiden, he rebounds very well. He can move pretty well for a big on the perimeter. He's just not at all a good interior, def- interior defender as a big. So they don't have an anchor. They don't have their, their star guard slash wing guy isn't a good on the perimeter. So you need to surround them with good defenders. And I don't know if this is going to be the year where they have enough of that, where they can be at least an average defensive team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's why I'm worried about their long-term projection. Um, just because when you look at, you know, Tim, you look at the history of these, of these teams that are built around, that are built around their core you know, you can have you can have one bad defender, and if you have great defenders around them and a great scheme, you can you can really uh, you can really do your best to minimize that, and and it can become a you can be a solid defensive team enough to win games. But when you have when you have like you said a guy who's who's terrible on the perimeter, and then another and then you're big who's also your other key piece, is not that good interior. Now, granted, I think DeAndre Ayton can get better with his interior defense, but I don't know, I don't see him projecting to be an elite interior defender. So by that nature, you have kind of, you have two negatives in your starting lineup, and those are your best players who will have to play the most minutes. So I, I'm with you. I think this is a bottom five defensive team this season, maybe a little bit above that. And then... You know, and then going forward, I don't know. Even if you get great pieces ar- around it, like Rubio, like you said, is a is a good defensive upgrade for them, um, especially especially for a guard position. But I I don't see how long term this team can be a great defensive team unless they unless they get some you know show stopping you know Hall of Fame level defender through a draft. That's a, a big man that can also 
I can also guard on the perimeter and protect the rim and all these different things. So, I mean, unless they get one of those unicorn-level players, you know, like an, like an Anthony Davis, then I don't see this team becoming anything remotely good defensively unless unless there, there are some big, big strides from Booker and Aiden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it'll come down to little strides each year. Probably not as much from Book, Booker and Aiden, but in terms of adding to the roster, drafting young guys, developing them, and like Mikel Bridges, he's a great piece. He can shoot. He graded out as one of our top perimeter defenders in the league last year. He's a piece that you can have there on the wing this year and long term that fits well with Booker's uh, assets and liabilities as a player, offensively and mm-hmm. defensively. So if you can get more guys like Mikel Bridges, um, honestly, if you could replace Ricky Rubio with uh, Eric Bledsoe, somebody who is a good, uh, an okay shooter and a very good defender to pair with uh, Devin Booker, and then you have Mikel Bridges on the wing, that type of one through three lineup would be perfectly adequate. Yeah. So there are players out there that don't need to be transcendent talents. Now, certainly they can skip a couple steps or skip a couple years even by drafting one of those. But if they can find small victories each year and then maybe find a player or two each year that they can just develop and just make a little bit more out of that guy than they thought they could, there's some hope, but it's it's a rebuild. So they're, I don't know, they, you, can't, you can't skip the line for something like that. They're going to have to take it slow. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Now let's look at their over-under. Uh, last year they had 19 wins. This year uh, Westgate currently has them at 29.5. They're over-under. That's a 10-win, uh, well, an 11-win improvement if you take the over. I... I hate to take the I hate to take the under on some of the lowest teams in the league, but I think with Phoenix I have to, despite their roster getting better. Uh, I I just see the West being so loaded as it is in a ten win improvement. I I mean you could maybe sell me on a ten win improvement. Looking at the roster upgrades, I like the Rubia, I like the Sarge move, and you know you could say that there should be some internal. Uh, some internal growth there with Booker, McHale, and Aiton, and some of their and some of their other players, but I just I I'm I can't ten wins is a lot in the NBA even when you're a bad friend even when even when you have such a bad record, so I I'm I'm not rolling with it because the West is just too loaded. I'll take a slight under and I have them somewhere in the twenty seven to twenty nine range. What about you? Gotcha. What what was the the Westgate projection? The Westgate was twenty nine point five. Interesting. Okay, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and lean on our uh, player impact plus minus model win projections, which are certainly better than what I could just come up with off the top of my head. They've been beating Vegas uh, for NBA, WNBA, college basketball. Um, that model has the Suns at 30.3 wins on the season. So just slightly over, less less than one win above what Westgate has. Hmm. I don't feel great about it. I think w- when we talk about an 11-win 11 11 jump, they didn't add a whole lot to this team, but they were able to shed some really dead weight with some of the players that they had on their roster. Um, and I think that'll... Helped them out quite a bit. Dragon Bender, Josh Jackson, Jamal Crawford. Those are guys that were actively having a negative impact 
by our data. And if you can replace them with just like average guys, you're mm -hmm. making huge strides. And I think they might have done that. I think Mikel Bridges, another year of growth will look a little bit better. I think they have a really good shot to have a better scheme this year, possibly. I don't think that if I had to project, I don't know if they will. I don't know if they'll have an average scheme, but there's a chance and there's a lot of variance there. So if that hits right and if they're able to replace negatives with neutral type guys, I think Rubio can can certainly add a bit of that. Um, I think some of the ancillary players they added, some of the bigs on this roster that can just do one thing well, one or two things well, they have enough that I think that they can get to that 30. So I'll say over, but I, I don't feel great about it. Okay. So you got the over. I got the under on that. And that is good because the last podcast I did, I, I agreed with my guests on almost everything, on almost <laughs> every over-under. So I'm glad we got some disagreement here. You ready to jump to your team, the Lakers? Yeah, man. Although, and I mentioned this to you before we started, I was I know we're going in reverse order of standings last year, mm -hmm. and it is just wild to me. Like I, I, I don't know if I forgot or I blocked it out of my memory, but the Lakers <laughs> finished below the uh, the Kings last year, and that's nuts. Um, but yeah. it certainly won't happen this year. <laughs> it it better not. It better it better not happen this year. Uh, so the Lakers obviously had their monster offseason, acquiring Anthony Davis um, and then making some other moves. Danny Green, Demarcus Cousins, who's now out for the season, then bringing back Dwight Howard, a fan favorite of LA there. So I look at this team, and Tim, the question I have for them, the, the one question I have for them, and I think I know the answer, but I'm not entirely sure because both sides of the ball have holes, but what is this team's identity? Is it their offense or their defense? Because, you know, they're, they're, they're not a great three-point shooting team. I don't, I don't expect them to be. Maybe, maybe you'll disagree with me. But, um, you know, and they don't have much great defensive talent either on this roster. They have LeBron, who's obviously more than capable of being a defender when he wants to, but we, we know his history of regular seasons the last couple seasons when it comes to defense. Um, Anthony Davis is a great talent uh, defensively, but we've seen, we've seen year after year that he, despite his despite his, uh, his individual great defensive performances, his teams don't really reach out to or project out too well defensively he he doesn't have a, a great ability of lifting an entire defense and shouldering an entire defense and then you know and then rondo who i think is a, is a good defender danny green who's a good defender so they have some some good pieces there but they also have some holes defensively so i'm not sure what the team's identity is what do you think the team's identity is I think they'll be stronger with their offense than their defense. Um, I'll disagree with you on the perimeter shooting piece. They don't have it all across the roster, but they are much, much better this year than they were last season. Last season, they seemed to prioritize oh, playmaking, and it's seemingly at the expense of shooting. This year, yeah. they flipped those, and they have almost no playmakers on the roster, but instead they've got guys mm -hmm. like uh, Danny Green who can shoot very well, Mm -hmm. They added Troy Daniels, who can shoot very well. Uh, they've Cook. added who else have they added? They added Quinn Cook, who's a shaky shooter, but he's shown he's shown a history of being able to shoot. So I assume that's why they signed him. Yeah, he can, he can shoot a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think several of those guys that they did sign, like Daniels and Cook, are just not good defenders at all. 
right. um, or at least they weren't in the data. I, I do have some hope for Troy Daniels having watched the first preseason game. But I think offensively, they're much more able to just kind of stumble into an offensive identity with the pairing of their, their top two players, Anthony Davis mm-hmm. and LeBron James. When we think about the duos that are on different teams, so maybe, I don't know, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, or Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, um, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, most of those duos are guys in the same or similar positions. And it's yeah. you have to be a little bit more creative to get them both involved actively you know, threatening the defense as best you possibly can. Right. Um, the Warriors do it with their scheme. Uh, the Rockets uh, maybe just kind of taking turns this year um, the way they did with Chris Paul and James Harden. But the Lakers with a big man in LeBron who can handle the ball are very easily going to be running pick and rolls and split cuts and different actions that get them both, you know, their impact will be felt, even if they right. don't have a great scheme around them. And on their scheme... I don't want to get too excited too quickly on too small of a sample, but I'm very uh, cautiously optimistic about what I saw from Frank Vogel and his staff um, just in that first game. It's going to be a clear step up from what we saw from Luke Walton the past couple seasons and Byron Scott before then. So I think offensively, they'll be good. Defensively, depending on how their rotations pan out, they have some upside. I think a guy like Alex Caruso is a clear step up from like Quinn Cook defensively. Um, Rajon Rondo can, he's okay on the perimeter, but he's just, I mean, he, he's not a big guy. He can't do anything close to the rim defensively, which, uh, is a little bit more important than I thought it would be. We, we ran some numbers on that and I can talk about that in a little bit, but I, I think Alex Caruso, if he gets the chance to play is a good fit for them as a guard with a starting lineup because he can shoot, he can defend and he can kind of play me. and he can't do anything else, but that's great. That's all they need. Hmm. All right, uh, Tim. I believe your microphone cut out a little bit, so you might wanna um, you might wanna finagle with that a little bit. But I like what you said about uh, about this team's shooting improving because I do agree that it has it that it has improved at the expense of playmaking, which to me is a is a concern because you have to me really two trusted i'll say three trusted playmakers on this roster and that is lebron rondo and anthony davis and you know anthony davis is a big so he's not you know he's not gonna get eight assists a game nine assists a game type of type of playmaking but he's he's got skills with the ball he's got he's got a good feel with the ball so he can make some plays too which is which will help them tremendously are you concerned that with their lack of playmaking, or do you think they have enough to get by, uh, to get by and actually win ultimately a title? That again, I think will come down to the scheme a little bit. Like you said, LeBron and Anthony Davis are probably their top two playmakers. Rajon Rondo can pass very well, has other holes in his game, um, but he has he brings that skill to the table as well. The only other guy that graded out above, I think, like a, I think a C minus. Everybody else was below a C minus compared to their own position, other than Kyle Kuzma, who surprisingly took a, a pretty large jump last season in terms of his playmaking. So if they can have those four guys, it helps a little bit. Um, but they, my expectation is that the team will need to be generating good looks, 
not by just relying on the talent they have to create something for each other the way LeBron can and Anthony Davis can, but mm-hmm. for the plays that they run to be generating those open looks, setting screens and making the right reads. I think they're, they're going to need to be strong there in order to have any chance at competing at the title. They, with this roster and last year's coaching staff, I'd say no chance at a title. Um, there are, I don't know. I may be more pessimistic, pessimistic than other Lakers fans, but there are quite a few things I think that need to go right and click into place for them to have a chance at a title, and scheme is one of those. Just because of that, especially because of that playmaking, I should say. Yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be something for me to watch with them. All right, so let's look at their their line here. Their over under is projected currently at let's see here, fifty point five, which would put them uh, fifth in the West currently. You know, last year they had. Let's see how many wins they had. 37 last year, so a 13 win, a 14 win jump if you take the over. Um, so adding Anthony Davis and improving the roster like they did, all the acquisitions, that makes sense. I'll hit the over on this. Um, I'm I'm not sure they finish outside of the top. Or I'm not sure they finish above, above four or three, but... I, I, I kind of like the tier that they're in. I think just from a regular season perspective, I think the Rockets are going to get a lot of wins. Uh, I'm not sure about the Jazz getting 54 wins, which that's for a whole other division. But uh, but I like them in the tier with the Nuggets. Uh, with with the Nuggets, I think that kind of makes sense with where I where I feel like this Lakers team will be regular season wise. Uh, where what do you have them with on the over under? We have them at 48 and a half wins. Which oh okay a little bit less a little bit more pessimistic yeah yeah uh, people aren't gonna like that I'm sure we'll post our season win projections in a couple of days and and that'll take a lot of crap um, <laughs> they certainly have upside and I think in the playoffs in particular if they finish fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever it happens to be they're going to have more of a chance at a title than the normal team that finishes fourth or fifth or sixth in the West oh agree that is 100%. that threat is very real. Yeah, but regular season with the lack of playmaking, the questions about the scheme, their r- very very real lack of depth in terms of being able to score and create your own offense. Um, if LeBron goes down at all, if Anthony Davis goes down at all, I don't feel very good about what the team will look like. They're going to need those two guys to be healthy for the whole season. Um, there are just a lot of a lot of question marks. Yeah. So. I'll trust the math on this one, say under, but I think once they get to the playoffs, if they're healthy, and, and by that time, we'll know a lot more about them than we know right now, about Dwight Howard and, and how he's being used, about Avery Bradley's defense, about if Alex Caruso's in the rotation, about if everybody's healthy. Once we have all those answers, if the scheme's good, I, I may be way, way over the season win projection. So if we could check in in like five or 10 games in the season, <laughs> I could probably give you a better update. But with all the question marks right now, uh, I'll say under. Yeah, I'm surprised that I'm being the Lakers optimist here with this slight over. You know that f- 52 wins for me just sounds like it sounds right. You know, but I get what you're saying. You have a a lot of you have a lot of credible points there pointing out. You know that just how much of the sustained workload will be on LeBron and Anthony Davis. And that if either of those two go down for a stretch, you know, um, 
that will be detrimental to to this team. Uh, the one thing I will say, Tim, and I've been saying this, uh, I've been saying this for ever since last season ended, and I want to put this out there because I believe you'll agree with this, or at least appreciate the optimism I have here. But I mean, this is this is the first time in eight years LeBron has had a full entire off season, and I really think people are underestimating that. I don't think his injury was. I don't think his injury was as serious as it as it was last year, and I think that this is a guy that, after all the all the miles on his that his body has taken the, this last you know this last almost decade, um, I I can see this this first full off season being a huge huge help for him right out the gate, and I think I I I really think that LeBron's going to come out a different animal this year. I agree. I, I think. I can very easily buy into that narrative. I think that's something that can be very real. I think based on the lack of success with the team last year, he's mentally going to be more focused and more driven. And I also think the math that we have with these projections may be undervaluing the roster just because of how many of them have been under poor coaching in the past and haven't performed as highly as they have the chance to perform under better coaching. So those two things are two additional X factors that I don't know. I, I want to change my, my pick to over. My heart says over. The math says under. My head says the, the Vegas total is probably about right. <laughs> All right. Glad, glad we did that. So let's jump to the Kings. Um, again, like you said, cannot believe the Kings finished above the Lakers. I mean, what a, what a season we had last season. So the Sacramento Kings – finishing finishing last year ahead of the Lakers and they were this Cinderella story towards the end of the season that a lot of people were rooting for in that in that eighth seed race between the Clippers, the Lakers, the Kings, and who was the other team that was in that race? It was a four team race. Was it who was it? I've tried to block that out of my memory so much. <laughs> oh <laughs> you know that, what it by was? That time, no. the Lakers didn't really have too many guys playing. It was uh, it was it was San Antonio. It was four teams for two spots. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So, anyways, the Kings were one of the teams that came down to the end of the season in in the playoff race, along with the Lakers. And you know they were this really fast team. They played with super super high pace, and yet to me, when I was doing the research for this podcast, I found it puzzling that they finished 17th in offensive and in, in offensive efficiency or offensive rating because this was a team that has objectively some some great offensive players, especially on the wings. And we all know that today's day and age when, in the NBA, wings ultimately are, are a bigger are usually a bigger impact on a team's success on offense more than more than uh, bigs. So what I found was that they were they were first in fast break points. They were first with 18 points, over 18 points a game. But the thing that shocked me was that they were 25th in uh three-pointers attempted per game last season. So that was that was a huge shocker to me and that's a number that has to go up. Um obviously another another thing was they were they were 17th in uh, or no, sorry, they were 20th in an in, in assist percentage so a lot of their buckets were generated um not off of assists 
but they were yet they were fourth in the best assist to turnover ratio in the league so they did take care of the ball well so they have they have some good and some bad things that they need to work out and now I know you're not the biggest fan of Luke Wallen so I'm I'm not entirely sure you have the faith uh that the, that this offense can go up another level but I think if they're going to improve on anything if they have uh aspirations of being of being a playoff team I think they have to work out those kinks offensively I think they have to shoot more threes and I think they have to um instill more plays which is not really in Luke Walton's DNA as as you've talked about last season correct yep they they're that college kid they're going from sophomore to junior they're smarter they're they're stronger they're going to be better but they're getting much much worse interview advice so when they they go up there and and they take Luke Walton's advice they're going to severely underperform their talent uh, I'm I'm not optimistic about what this team can do for that reason. I am like in, excited personally about several individual players. Um, mm-hmm. Bogdan Bogdanovich, what we saw him do in the World Cup was very exciting. Um, Buddy Heald is a clear breakout candidate for me. He his talent grades are off the charts. Not I shouldn't say off the charts. His talent grades are much much better than the perception of him. And a big piece of that is he was used as a glue guy last season, one of those jack-of-all-trades. And that was, if we look at all the different types of offensive roles that that my site looks at, there are 11 different ones, that would be the worst wing position to have him, um, literally have him do anything else, and he'd be more effective as a wing. And I think Luke Walton, while I'm not a big fan of, of what they do, I think they'll be able to figure out how to use Heald a little bit better. And I think that'll lead to him breaking out. And then we saw De'Aaron Fox took a huge jump last year. So they have a couple guys I'm excited about. Uh, they did bring in did, – didn't they bring in Igor uh, Kokoskov? Uh, I believe they did as in, as in basically uh, on the coaching staff. Let me, let me research that I, I believe so. So that would make me feel – even better about healed and a little bit better about the team as a whole. Um, Luke Walton, I mean, he, he had an offensive coordinator the past couple of years, Jesse Murmies, and that's the person who I haven't been a big fan of in terms of the schemes that he's run out there. If he's no longer in that job and he goes back to being a player development coach, which he's pretty good at, uh, and they, they allow Igor to take over that offensive coordinator role, it's not a huge like I don't know that they'll be above average schematically, but I think it'll be a big jump up from probably what was the worst offensive scheme in the league last year. Yeah, and I did just look that up. So you, so you probably heard listeners. You probably heard the keyboard typing there. But yes, uh, Igor was added as an assistant coach to this team. I and you know you bring up some good points about about just you know raising the floor of the scheme and really working out the kinks of it. And that would be something that I'm hopeful for with this team. I like the point also about Buddy Heald. I agree. I think if anybody's set on this roster to break out, I know everybody's excited for Fox. And I think I think Fox is going to be a player. I think he's so good that I think he's going to transcend his system. And I think he, he'll still find a way to improve his game and level up, even, even if even if Luke Wallen doesn't utilize him to the best of his abilities. But I I think I think Buddy Heald is a safe is a safe bet as somebody to break out for the for the Sacramento Kings offensively. Um I, I like their roster. I I like a lot of their players individually and, you know, collectively you look at it and you're like, okay, they got like 
10 interesting guys that I, I that I think are that I think are good players, but I just don't like the sum of the parts. And you know, I think Westgate is a little down on them too because last season they finished with 39 wins, and they have them basically right there at 38.5 is their is their current line. Uh, is that somewhere in line with yours? No, that's actually the the most off so far of the ones we've covered. Our projections have the Kings at 33.3 wins. So, mm-hmm. I mean what half a dozen wins below uh westgate yeah so wow uh, to nail that under wow um yeah yeah i i have the under for it too just because i think obviously the west has gotten better i know that's a theme you're gonna hear but you're gonna hear that a lot on these on these division previews especially in the western conference ones so you know the Lakers are obviously going to get more wins. I like I like the Mavericks. You know that's the team that a lot of people are rooting for uh, um, hard. So I think I think there's going to be a couple of teams that take a step up, and I think the Kings are going to be one of the teams that unfortunately take a step back. I think they had a great season last year, and I think that they I think that they overachieved a little bit, and I I I have faith that long term they can develop something if they if they work out their the kinks of, of of this roster i think they can they can have something they can be a playoff team in the future i just don't unfortunately see it for them this season so i'll also go the under to me i wasn't going to go as under as as 33 but i w- i would have them probably in the in the 36 win range uh not too much under but i i think under for them okay and then I have a quick question uh, yeah. on the, just on the process here. For the odds that you're looking at, or for mm-hmm. the win projections you're looking at, does it show the odds on those picks as well? Um, let's see here. Because one thing that we've noticed is many places... So, so generally, if, if you post a game and it's Lakers by five over the Kings, when people mm-hmm. bet on that game on one side or the other, the line will move right. uh, based on those bets. For the team win totals a lot of times the books won't move those at all instead they'll just change the odds on either side Mm -hmm. so when we talk about vegas or westgate they'll pick what they think it might be at the beginning but then the betters will really refine that number usually but with the win totals we don't really have that opportunity because they don't move those lines Um, right so if i don't know if if the kings are at 38 but the over is is plus 500 they are the the market is thinking they're definitely going to go under that right yeah i'm not seeing anything um at least on this i'm on actionnetwork.com i'm getting them through i'm getting these actually through the westgate numbers through actionnetwork.com so they're not saying anything about the um uh, about where about what they uh what they expect they're just comparing them to uh, they got Westgate here. They got FanDuel and DraftKings. So they just got they just got different um, different win totals um, from different from different sources. But they don't have the percentages on the bets and you know what the action is on the line. Gotcha. Okay. No worries. Um, let's see here. So the next team in the division is the Los Angeles Clippers, who obviously had a monster offseason as well. Acquiring Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and trading, and trading every pick imaginable. Uh, one of the funny things when that when that story came out was that you know they traded the rights to a middle schooler, 
you know, because they traded that many years in advance their draft picks. Jeez. Um, yeah, they, they went all in on this team. Uh, they had a great, great uh, season last year. I think I think what they did to the Warriors in the first round really opened a lot of eyes to a lot of players. Now, I I, I don't know if that if if that changed Kawhi and Paul George coming here. I think even if they just missed the playoffs, I think that those two still ended up here in in Los Angeles. But I'm not in. I, I still think it was it was a big notice to the rest of the league, and now obviously they are projected by a lot of people to be the title favorites. Kawhi coming off of one of the best postseason performances we've ever seen. Paul George, who had an MVP level season before his shoulder injuries, so obviously there's some concern there. But most people are assuming that he'll get back to full health and he'll and he can be the Paul George at or near the level he was last season, which was an MVP candidate for most, of the, for most of the season. The question to me, Tim, is do they have enough playmaking on the roster? Last year they ranked 21st in assist percentage. You have the two elite shot creators, so I think they're going to be fine offensively, uh, much, like the, much like the Lakers. I think they'll be fine offensively because they have, they have two transcendent talents. But, neither, uh, but l- unlike the Lakers, Neither of Kawhi nor Paul George, I would say, are particularly superb playmakers. Will Williams is probably their best playmaker, and he's their sixth man. So I assume that Will Williams is in the closing lineup over Beverly, or they or they keep Beverly in the lineup and move everybody up, and Kawhi plays the four. I'm not entirely sure about their closing lineup. That's kind of a second part of the question, but more so the playmaking to me is is something that I'm a little bit concerned about on this team. I'm a little bit concerned how do how do the others get their shots? They have three great isolation scores, so maybe they don't need that that playmaking a ton, but I, I think guys like Patrick Beverly and you know, those are players that are pretty much if they're not if they're not getting if they're not getting their plays created for them, they're not going to they're not going to be much of an offensive impact. So I think it's kind of, it's a little bit important that they have some good playmaking on this roster. Mm-hmm. Our data has them about average as a roster in terms of playmaking. Uh, mm-hmm. One guy that you had mentioned that I think people might be a, a, sleeping a little bit on is Patrick Beverly. He, he's certainly not a great, you know, he, he's not a prolific playmaker. But if mm-hmm. we look at his talent grades starting in 2013, 2014 and moving on, he went from a C- minus playmaking to a C plus to a B to an A, and then uh, in 2017, 2018, he was what? He was pretty much out for the whole year. Yeah. Um, and let me check his 2019 data. Um, but that's, I mean, a very clear upward trajectory. Okay, and then last season he was a B. So that's good enough, I think. Uh, for a guard, it'll be, once you adjust for his position, it'll be lower than a B. But he can pass, and I think that's important. Um, they do have other guys on the roster I don't have much confidence in in terms of playmaking. But if they can keep the ball in the hands of Lou Williams, I think Paul George is a, is a better passer than he gets credit for. A lot of that has to probably do with his usage as a player. Um, Kawhi Leonard, another guy who's not a great playmaker, um, his grade last season compared to Wings with 1,000 minutes was a B. He was in the 67th percentile. Uh, he's a very good scorer, not quite that playmaker. So... They might have enough. I think their scheme's pretty good. I think their coaching is very good. Um, 
they've been able to make it work in the past. And when you add the pieces they have to what they started with, I think they're still in a pretty good spot. Um, one thing that's most interesting to me and I'm keeping an eye out for is I'm going to, I don't know, this is probably a hot take. I'm going to say Paul George is better than Kawhi Leonard this year. Um, Hmm. I think Kawhi, I think Paul George was better than Kawhi Leonard last year until Paul George got hurt. And then Kawhi obviously had the fantastic playoffs, but overall I think Paul George is the better player and I think he'll have the better season this upcoming year. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that's a hot take. I mean, it makes sense considering when you look at their regular season performances, um, you know, Paul George was an MVP candidate. Well, Kawhi was nowhere to be mentioned despite being on uh, one of the best teams in the league. So, you know, it's not it's not crazy because, you know, statistically Paul George had an awesome season last year, a better season than, uh, than Kawhi Leonard. But it just sounds so crazy coming off of what we saw from Kawhi, you know, where we saw like a – you know, a, a just an absolute all-time great performance offensively in the playoffs and just overall in the playoffs, honestly, because defensively too. So, yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see how the team fits around those two because I think they have a lot of players, and I think last season showed that they have a lot of players that are willing to uh, to buy into a specific role for the greater good of the team. So I, I, I think they have a lot of things going for them, and I think they will be fine, but the playmaking is a concern for me with that with that team. Uh, do you have any questions you're looking at with the Clippers coming into the season? I think you've hit it on. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. They, they have a lot of guys who are more finishers uh, than anything. So Ivica Zubats, he's not going to score in the post. He's yeah. not going to be a playmaker. He's going to finish dump-offs. He's going to clean up on the offensive glass. He's not even a great role man in terms of being a vertical lob threat. He's not a pick-and-pop threat. So he's just going to get whatever comes to him. He's not going right. to generate anything for you. Montrose Harrell is similar. He's going to, you know, working with Lou Williams, finishing those lobs, picking and rolling. That's what he does. Uh, Landry Shamit, excellent shooter. They use him very well off of screens. Not a playmaker, not a good finisher, not a good defender. Um, Mo Harkless, another guy I'd consider a, consider a siloed player in terms of having a couple skill sets that he'll be strong with. Um, up and down the roster, they have a lot of guys like that. So when those two studs aren't doing their thing, or Lou Williams and Matras Harrell aren't doing their thing, we may see this team struggle to score. Um, but I think defensively they'll be pretty strong overall. Yeah, I I would be honestly shocked if this wasn't a top five defense <laughs> in this in this league. I mean, you you just look at the you just look at the the roster that they have and how they have so many great wing defenders and Matras Harrell, who I who I like as a defensive player. I I really love this team. I'm excited to watch this team as I'm sure you are, with them being, you'll have a close eye on them being obviously in the same building as the Lakers. Their over-under is at 53.5, which seems low considering last year they had 48 wins, and this season they added Kawhi and Paul George. So I will hit the over. I know there are some questions about how many games will these guys play. You know, are they are they going to rest a lot during the regular season? And there's a good chance that they will. 
I know I know that the, the narrative coming out of training camp and coming out of media day for the Clippers has been that they do plan on playing those guys a lot this season. They don't plan on load managing them the entire season, but I could definitely see them uh, I could definitely see them walking that back as the season goes on. So I'll I'll still with that being said, I'll still hit the over because I think that this Clippers team is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think their only hole is their playmaking, truly. I have no questions about their defense. I have no questions about their talent, about their coaching. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hitting the over on this. I got them at you know, 56, 57 wins easy. So the math has them at 51.7, which I believe is also over, mm-hmm. not quite as over. Um, when we talk about load management. Well, their line was 53.5, so that would be slightly under. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. I think if they go the load management route, this isn't the type of roster that will be resilient to that and continue winning at the same pace. Like they, they just don't have the depth of playmaking to withstand something like that. Similar to mm-hmm. the way the Lakers are set up. Um, I do want to hit on our talent grades have them as the third best shooting team in the league and fourth best perimeter defense, fifth best interior defense, seventh best defensive rebounding. When you throw those all together, the best defensive uh, team from a talent standpoint, if I'm all eyeballing this correctly. Um, hmm. So that is something they certainly have going for them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The math says under. I think they can, I'm, I'm going to say over, but the math says under. Hmm. That's actually really interesting that, um, that, they're, that they're that low. Uh, looking at these, looking at these over under win totals, it, it's funny. Nobody had, Westgate has nobody finishing with 60 wins. Everybody's lines are under 60. The Milwaukee Bucks are the highest at 57.5. So, I think, I, I think they're they're counting on a on a season that that's going to be a, because there's so many good teams that they're going to that there's going to be such a level playing field. But uh, I still see even in that scenario with all these good teams, I still see the Clippers getting over that. Unless, like you said, they they do do a lot of load management because. I agree with you. I don't think this team withstands that very, very well, despite the talent that they they have on this roster. It, it, the playmaking would be an issue if if one or both of them are down for any sort of any sort of stretch for them. You ready to jump to the Warriors? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the Warriors. My question for them is quite simple, and that is, can. Uh, can D'Lo be a great, consistent off-ball player? Because obviously, Steph Curry's going to dominate. I think Steph Curry's going to have an amazing, amazing season. And I, I do think D'Lo fits that team well, but not not great. And I, I just, I, I don't like the pairing with Steph. I think I think you know it, it it it'll have to be a my turn your turn you know we talked about the benefit of the Lakers having LeBron and AD is that those two you can put your two best players in an action on the same play and it works and it fits whereas you know obviously obviously if you put Steph Curry and D'Lo in the same play together there's a little bit of a there's there there's a little bit of a you know give and take from from each other because they're both best with the ball in their hand they're both they're both um, they're both great great ball handlers and, and shooters, so I don't like the I don't like that fit all entirely well. And plus, I do think D'Angelo Russell overachieved a little bit last season. 
I, I don't think he was quite as good as people let uh, people thought he was heading into the playoffs, despite the miraculous run that he had. So I, I'm a little bit skeptical of them, and I'm a little bit skeptical of Delo's off-ball offense in particular. What do you think, it, and what is what does your data say about about Delo as an off-ball player? It's not a huge fan. If we're going to look at his off-ball movement grade, he was a D minus two years ago. He was a D last season. He's a good mm-hmm. shooter, so that that makes things easier. Um, but he's just not a he, he's not a very good cutter. He's not athletic in that way. I think he is a smart cutter, and we saw that going back all the way to Ohio State. But I don't think he'll be a positively impactful player in that sense. One thing I will push back on is the idea that Steph is best with the ball in his hands. I think the Warriors have done such a great job using him running around pin downs and flare screens and doing things to really leverage the perimeter gravity he has. And when I say that, I mean like the attention that the defense gives him when he's right. running off of a screen. He'll, he'll, we see this all the time. He runs off a screen. Both of the defenders in the action go to him. And then he just makes that pocket pass to Draymond Green and then you have Green with the ball barreling towards the rim, and you have a four-on-three, so somebody's going to be open. It's very simple stuff, but he's a very good passer, and he's such an elite uh, perimeter shooter off of all kinds of weird angles and footwork and all that, that you you can just do everything with him off ball. So I think there is some synergy there, and with the way the Warriors use players running off of screens, I think D'Angelo Russell will see an uptick in terms of off-ball usage and off-ball scoring ability just because it'll be more intentional. It should be smarter. Um, I'm interested to see if they do mold their screen to have him be more of an on-ball guy and stray away from what they've done as a team in recent years. Um, Last season when they had to do anything other than have their full healthy roster and play the defense straight up, they struggled. I think they had a top five offense. Schematically, they had a top offense when everybody was healthy and when you weren't doing anything creative against them as a defense. But once somebody was out or we saw this in the playoffs, once you start being creative in the way you defend them, they just don't adjust very well. So we'll see how they adjust to D'Angelo Russell. Um, you would also mention that Russell was a little bit overhyped and the numbers definitely back you up there. Um, Normally with All-Stars, we see A and B grades all the way down the line. D'Angelo Russell Mm -hmm. had that D off-ball movement. He had a C finishing grade. Uh, He was not a good defender in the 30th percentile with her overall defensive grade. Um, Good shooter, very good playmaker, was put in a role to make the most of his skills to some degree. Um, But even then, his impact, when we look at his player impact plus minus, was so far below what we would expect from a typical All-Star that his... The, the odds that we projected for him to be given an all-star selection during the season were close to zero. Um, and, wow. and in reality, it took, what, two, was it two injuries? Yeah, I believe it was two. Uh, so he, and this is why I like the the NFL's designations of, of Pro Bowl guys. Um, either you make it because you were one of the top picks, or if you make it because several people are injured or decline it, they give them a different designation. I think that would be important in this type of scenario because D'Angelo Russell, from a talent and an impact standpoint last season, our numbers are suggesting he wasn't quite on that caliber. So it'll be interesting to see 
how he holds up to those expectations of him that are perhaps a little bit over his head. Um, so if, if they can fit him into their scheme and they can mold and match his skill sets well, I think he'll be fine. But I can see if they don't adjust to him and he needs to adjust to them, I can easily see D'Lo really struggling during during stretches of this season. Yeah, I I would agree. And I think... I know there's a lot of hype about, you know, they retained him as an asset, which was, don't get me wrong, it was a smart move by the Warriors to, you know, turn what was Kevin Durant walking out the door into D'Angelo Russell, who has interest around the league and certainly has value around the league, despite how hard it may seem like we're being on him. He's still a good player that a lot of teams would want to have at the right price. Mm -hmm. So, you know... I think he'll likely finish this season just because of Clay's injury. I think I think they'll keep him for this season, but I don't expect him to be on this roster by this time next year. Uh, would you agree with that statement, or would you disagree? Knowing what I know now, I think there's a high probability of what you're saying pans out. His skill set and with what they do schematically and with the roster they have and just kind of with with more of a realistic look at what he brings to the table and what kind of impact he has and how he plays defensively. I, yeah, I, I can easily see him being moved somewhere else in a role that is more tailored to him rather than to two of the best shooters of all time. And that might actually work out for him pretty well, and it may work out for the Warriors. It, it all depends on what they can get for him. Um, but I think, right. like you said, he's certainly better than nothing. And it was a really shrewd move from their standpoint, to be able to flip Kevin Durant as he was walking out the door. Yeah. All right. Their over-under is at 47.5. They won 57 games last season, so taking it over would be a nine-win nine drop still. Obviously, you can't take that number into, into account considering you know the Warriors roster is totally, absolutely different than last season. But, um, you know, I... I we talked about we talked about so so many things about why why we're bullish on that fit, which is why I have the under. But I still don't think I still think this is a good team. I still think there's a lot about this team that is going to be you know with Steph Draymond obviously. If if I mean if you get playoff Draymond, I mean they they might they might go over this 47 and a half win, but I don't expect that. Um, I expect an awesome season from Steph. And, you know, maybe if D'Angelo Russell fits better. So there's reasons to be, there's reasons that they can win. But, you know, just looking at these over-under win totals, you know, the Lakers were at 50.5 versus the Warriors at 47.5. I would be shocked if there was a, if there was only a three-game difference between those two teams. So I, I have the under with this team. My... I still think it's a playoff team, but I have the under. I think there's a scenario, and it may not be the most likely scenario, but well within the range of outcomes where Steph absorbs the lost volume from Kevin Durant and is just able to just go off on high volume mm-hmm. with a lot of looks. The way he generally attacks doesn't really lend itself to that as much unless it's him pulling up for a lot of really, really difficult shots all the time, um, which... I. I mean, it's it's Steph Curry, so I can't say I don't feel great about it, but it's uncomfortable. Um, yeah. The math has them at 49.4 wins, and I think that's too high. And I am not as big a believer in 
D'Angelo Russell as as general perception. I'm not as big of a believer in exactly what Steph's going to be able to do when we need him to have a ton more volume. I, th- I still think it would be very good and very efficient, um, but maybe a notch below what people are expecting. And I also have questions about the coaching staff's ability to adjust to the new talent they have on the roster. And for that reason, I'd, I'd say under, but the math does say over at 49 hmm. and four wins. That's interesting. You know, despite all our talk about about the Andros fit, I would have I would have predicted that your model had them as an as even under this this line at forty seven and a half. So that's interesting. Um, maybe maybe we're missing something with this team, but yeah, I'm I'm rolling with you. I got the under. I still think this is a you know a forty five win you know seventh seed in the West. Maybe maybe sixth right now. Right now, this uh, according to Vegas, they would be if everybody got what their projected line was, they would have them as the sixth seed in the West. Um, I I can see I can see the sixth seed or maybe even the fifth seed as the absolute ceiling, but I don't see this. I see this team more likely as a seventh seed or an eighth seed in in the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I can see them finishing a bunch of different places, but no matter where they finish, it's not a team I would want to play in the playoffs. And Mm -hmm. with them and the Lakers being in that, we don't know exactly how they're going to finish, but you definitely don't want to play them in the first round. I can see the Clippers not taking their foot off the pedal and and being a a three seed or something like that or a two seed. I, I think they'll try to avoid these teams and play their guys what they need to 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 get away from those matchups in the first round. So that this these two teams, the Lakers and the Warriors play a little bit of a role in how I think the Clippers season will play out. That's a very good point and I I absolutely agree with that. I think I think seeding is going to be more important than ever before in, in the Western Conference playoffs. So I let's see here. Let's see here. I was gonna, I was gonna look up something, but oh wow, yeah, all the other three sites have them at forty-seven and a half too. So everybody seems to have them in that range, and then your data has them at at forty-nine wins. So interesting, interesting season for the Warriors. But Tim, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I greatly appreciate it. As always, man, you are you are one of my favorite people to have on this podcast. Not just Laker talk, but just basketball talk in general. I love your site. I love I love the I love the perspectives you you add to this podcast and we greatly value it here at Strictly Hoop Talk. So I want to say that I appreciate you and to plug anything you got going on because I'm sure you got some content coming for the season. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I, I really appreciate the the kind words. We do have a lot coming. Um, we've the site's almost gone silent in terms of written content during the off season, and we've had our WNBA stuff being churned out, but volume will pick up a bit as the season starts, and we have writers back and graphic designers back and all of that um our gambling packages will be back up and running for the nba last season we were profitable uh against the spread on over unders um we're just wrapping up the WNBA season now and i think we're at depending on how tomorrow's game goes i think we'll either be at 61 percent against the spread or 60 percent against the spread um either way very profitable there Um, So that's continuing into the NBA season. So check that out if you like gambling or betting on games more states now than ever allowing people to do that. So it's it's such a fun way to add more excitement to the games, make everything more meaningful. It's kind of like with fantasy football where you suddenly care a lot more about what you're watching.
because because <laughs> you've got uh, an extra vested interest in what's going to happen. So check that out. Uh, check out the site. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Tim underscore MBA. Um, and yeah, keep keep an eye out for new stuff we have. We just rolled out our new overall grades. So we have overall offensive and defensive grades, which we put a ton of work into how to use some machine learning and figure out exactly how to weigh everything, even including like height and weight and optimization and all kinds of stuff. So lots of exciting new research that you won't find anywhere else. Uh, check it out at Basketball Index. All right, Tim, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate you. And like you said, I think I'll have to have you back on five ten, uh, five ten games in this season to, to see what that Laker line is looking like. Hey, any, anytime you need me, Chris, I'm here. All right, man. Take care, Tim.